Now, as I said, this passage has some of the attendant lineage language that is not unfamiliar to us in the Hebrew Scriptures. It gives us a little bit of the beginning of the understanding of Abram, then to be Abraham's family. This precedes the, the call to Abraham to go to Canaan. But interestingly enough, we have before that the good intentions, at least as they appear, of Terah and family to make their way to Canaan. Now we know from later on that Canaan is described as a land of milk and honey, a land of abundance, a land that is the fulfillment of all of the promises that are embodied in God. So, so therefore, Canaan was a good destination to have in, in, in store, in, in mind. And that was the way the journey began. But something along the way unfolded. And we're told that when they got to Haran, they settled there. And that Terah died in Haran. Now this had been a trip that began as one with the land of Canaan in destination. But here we see something happened. In fact, interestingly enough, the word for settled in the 31st verse really can best be understood not simply as settling and setting up housekeeping and setting up all the things that we associate with that, but more so plopping down. So in other words, we're told that Terah and company plopped down in Haran, and Terah lived out the rest of his days there. Now with that understanding, it's worth examining what happened with such an ambitious goal in mind at the outset, what happened to Canaan as the destination? And maybe it's instructive for us to understand for our own journeys what might cause us to settle for halfway. So maybe what unfolds here, and, and we can really only speculate, but that's okay, but maybe what happened by way of Terah and company is that they settled into the sensible and the practical. Now we might often say, well that makes perfect sense. What's better than sensibility and, and practicality? What's better than doing the things that, that seem to, to, to make the most ordered and, 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 and full measure of sense that, that don't upset the apple cart? But ah, oh, if we think about it for a moment, are we really the recipients of what is sensible and practical? Have the folk who've gone before us to struggle for what's right and what's just done simply what's sensible and practical? Or are we the beneficiaries, are we the recipients of the audacious, radical, revolutionary, far-sighted sense of justice and commitment that those who've gone before us have had? Rob, was it sensible for those students the other day to pull that statue down? Was it sensible for folks to do all the things that are replete throughout history that have gotten us to where we've gotten? Just the other day, our, our youngest daughter who just started uh, school the other uh, Wednesday, uh, 
up at SUNY Purchase and the Dance Conservatory was excited about that. And one of the things that I made sure she did before uh, we, we made our way up to Westchester County was to register to vote. Now, and she had a choice of, she, she could register however she wanted with whatever party she wanted. Now, whether or not she'd have a home to come to, that's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But here's the thing. For her, registering to vote here in the state of New York was relatively speaking mundane. She, she got online. <laughs> she didn't have to go somewhere and, and, and fill out a questionnaire. She didn't have to tell somebody how many bubbles there were in a bar of soap. She didn't have to prove her citizenship. She simply got online and registered. And the fact that that was so mundane and so matter of fact, it struck me the reason it was mundane and the reason it was matter of fact is because some folk did some very unmundane and not matter-of-factly kinds of things to get us to this point. So we are the beneficiaries of what is not sensible, what's not practical, but what is audacious, revolutionary, and radical. So before we say, well, obviously, doing what's sensible and doing what's practical should always be our goal. Let's stop and think for a moment. Does that oftentimes really get us to where we intend to go? If, if simply doing the sensible and practical thing was always successful, we'd be reading about Terah having made it to Canaan and not dying in Haran. But sometimes we're lulled into the sensible and practical for seemingly obvious reasons. Sometimes we end up feeling like, well, we've done enough. I've traveled enough, I've travailed enough, I've served enough, I've given enough. I deserve to sit down now. Hmm. Okay. Thanks be to God for those who didn't sit down mid-journey, mid-stream, mid-way. Maybe I settle into the sensible, not simply because I've done enough, maybe because I've had enough. I'm tired, it's, 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 it's vexing, it's draining, it's exhausting. I was reading a story a few months ago about a gentleman, I believe in southern Ohio, who made the determination after November 2016 that he was not going to get this now. You maybe have read the same story. Wasn't going to read the news, wasn't going to go online, didn't want to know anything about what is transpiring in the world around us, swirling in the world around us right now. Now look, on its face, I get it, because this is not good stuff, and it's tiring, and it's, and it's exhausting, and it, and it wears us down in so many respects. However, I thought to myself as I read that story, how, how entitled and privileged it is to think that I can remove myself just because stuff is hard, stuff is difficult, stuff is, 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 is weighing down on me. No, we have to understand that sometimes that's the very moment, that's the very reason, that's the very place in time when we need to be the most present. Now, of course, there's a difference between being present and being consumed. I, I, I don't want the ugliness of these moments to defeat me or destroy me, but I do want to be able to respond to them with a sense of what's right and what's just. So although we sometimes settle into 
the practical and sensible because we've done enough or maybe just we've had enough. Understand that again, there are those who've gone before us who instead of settling, have done what's audacious and radical and revolutionary. So, let's keep walking with terror for a moment. Now, now, now the, the journey begins coming out of Ur, and now we come halfway, so to speak, to Haran. Canaan's still off in the distance, and, and Terah settles there. And sometimes we come to those moments, whether it's, it's geographically or or thereby the halfway point, maybe or maybe or not, but, but sometimes we feel like we're, we're in the midst of the journey and we want to stop and slow down and take account. For Terah, it ended up being the place to sit it out and to settle. But maybe we can use that point in our journey when we feel like we're at the halfway moment. Maybe we can use it as an instructive moment. When I was a kid, in the back of our church bulletin in our church growing up in Cleveland, our pastor often used lines from this poem. You may know it. It's not the, the best poem by way of poetic structure. That's okay. But, but it, it gets the point across. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's attributable to, to anybody, if it's anonymous or not. But, but the lines, at least, that I remember were, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, and when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and when you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must. But don't you quit. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint in the clouds of doubt, and you never can tell how close you are. It might be near when it seems afar, so stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Now, I want to make sure we understand something. I don't want this to be equated with, with a winning-at-all-cost kind of mentality. No offense to the late Vince Lombardi. It's not about winning isn't everything, it's the only thing and all that. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that then when we come to those moments when it seems like there's more being vanquished than being victorious, we ought to remember that there are those things that can all of a sudden take in and take over that can move us from halfway and that can keep us going. I'm not a marathoner, but my wife's run a marathon, and I remember as she was prepping and reading all about what it takes to endure a marathon, most folk will tell you that the human body can pretty much be trained to cover about 20 miles out of one's own physical resilience. You, you can train your muscles. You can, you can get to the point of being fit. Now, I don't know, there probably are some marathoners here in the, in the room, and, and you could attest to that, and, and, and therefore, it's, it's great. But the last time I checked, a, a marathon wasn't 20 miles. 26.2 and change. So something has to happen beyond that 20-mile mark that exceeds our understood, listen to me now, that exceeds our understood capacity. Some people talk about getting over the wall or, or, or whatever it might be, that, that something has to kick in that moves you beyond whatever it is that you've got by way of resources. 
Now, I don't know that everybody who runs a marathon necessarily has a spiritual sensitivity, but I will just say this. I would hope that a few marathoners past that 20-mile mark might realize that, yes, there's something beyond my capacity that's at play now. So maybe we need to understand that when we're in the midst of struggle, we're in the midst of our journey, if you will, our Canaan journey, that there, yes, will come times when we are tired, when we hit a wall, but then thanks be to God. We can call upon the strength of a God who is faithful. We can call upon the, the, the strength of a community that is supportive. We can call upon the strength of the legacy of those who've gone before us and who remind us that the race can be won. So understand this morning that yes, we'll come to halfway moments. We'll come to places where our spirits might flag. But don't quit. Allow something beyond you, something bigger than you, something fuller than you to take up residence in that moment. Understand, my prescriptive to Tara would have been if Tara could have only seen the larger purpose of being in relationship with a God of love and direction and sustaining faithfulness, if Tara could have only seen that that purpose would have endured and extended beyond just the moments of his journey. <laughs> Tara could have only trusted that in that journey, God would indeed be faithful. And then maybe Tara would have been able to keep on going. So I'd say to us this morning, church, that yes, halfway can be a place of heartbreak if we settle, if we drift into complacency, if we think, well, I've done all that I need to do, I've, I've taken all that I can take, and I've run out of my own capacity. But halfway can also be a place of renewal. And interestingly enough, a place of renewal when we realize that it's no longer just us. It's no longer just what I bring to the game, but it's everything that has gone into me by way again of the support, the, the mutual faithfulness of those around me, the legacy of those who've gone before me, and a God who is transcendently present in the midst of my journey. Understand this morning that when we drift into complacency, when we drift into the sensible, when we drift into those places where it just seems like this is the place to be, there's so much work that gets left undone. There's so much that, that's left unfulfilled because we've decided to just become comfortable. Now, I, 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 I'm like you. I, I have no problem with being able to, to take moments of ease. Some of us, I don't know if you were like me, at least had a few moments this summer to sit somewhere for a moment and be still. Nothing wrong with that. But understand that God yet still calls us to be sustained in the journey and not to settle for halfway. No, not the sensible, but the audacious. Not the practical, but the revolutionary. Sensible is comfortable, but audacious gets us to where we need to go. I was 
on the street. This is a couple of years ago, true story. And there was a tourist family. And they were walking along. I was on a 110th Street, West 110th. And they had a little bit of a look of consternation in their faces. And they saw me walking along the sidewalk there. And they stopped me. And I guess that's maybe because I have a friendly and welcoming face. I don't know. Or either they, they just didn't know how to take New York on. But, but they stopped me. And they had, as often is the case, the unfolded tourist map, which is probably not the best thing to do if you want to make sure that you're not seen as an easy mark by whoever might be out there. So, but anyway, they had the unfolded tourist map. And there was a bit of consternation. And, and, and just for, if you're not an expert on Upper West Side uh, geography, I'll just say we were at the corner of West 110th and Amsterdam. Maybe you can figure that out, okay? But we were just, just to, the, to the west of, of the corner. So they were asking me with great consternation because they figured that they, everything was turned upside down. They didn't quite know where they were going. They thought basically <laughs> that everything was in an upheaval. They said, we're trying to find the cathedral of St. John the Divine. <laughs> the world's largest cathedral. And they really, I'm not kidding you, they really were lost. Because they had gotten so far, hadn't seen it, and figured somehow the journey at this point was futile. So, preacher that I am, I preached about an 18-second sermon. I said, well, the cathedral, that august Measure of architectural excellence, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. If you just take a few more steps, it's right around the corner. You may not be able to see it right now, but keep going and it's right around the corner. It may seem like it's a distance away, but it's right around the corner. Oh, to understand sometimes halfway really isn't halfway at all. Halfway is really a way of letting us know that all we need to do is keep going because it's just around the corner. I'll just say this as I take my seat. I feel as if though in this day and age we need to be reminded that it's about us making the journey, the fulfillment of God's purposes for us, the fulfillment of what we as, as the gathered people of God can do and make an imprint upon the world. It's not about us reacting to others. Now listen to what I'm saying. Oh, I don't mean we should ignore the chicanery and, and the, the awfulness that swirls around us. But what I'm saying is that I think our journey and our faithfulness in that journey will outdistance and outweigh and most importantly outlast all that is destructive and divisive if we understand that the purposes God has called us to is to build the realm of God and to fling those doors wide open. That's what Canaan looks like. Canaan is a place where we all have a place at the table. 
Canaan is far more, and thanks be to God, far more than the geographical location of Canaan on the map as we might understand it today. But Canaan is also that place where everyone is welcome to the prospect and the fulfillment of God's purposes. So we dare not stop halfway. Because what God has in store for us when we get to the promised land is the blessings, the justice, the mercy, and the love that can be given so freely and so fully to all as long as we don't stop halfway, just around the corner. Amen.